As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. When you hear the DJ scratch, you know what that means. That means it's time for another episode of Burn and Return. Uh, my name is Matt Sometimes I go by the grass factor, Martin. Uh, alongside me, we have Mr. Ryan DeMay, Mr. Ray Ito. Uh, we are three uh, turf grass guys from kind of different facets of the industry. Um, uh, Ray is a lawn care guy. Uh, Ryan is, uh, is Ray is a, a very, very high-end residential lawn care guy. Uh, Ryan is a, uh, a sports turf uh, and lawn care consultant, and uh, I am in the manufacturing space. And uh, we come together on Sundays and Thursdays to talk to the world. Well, we record this on a Sunday, but it doesn't go live until Wednesday. But uh, we come together to talk to the world about the various uh, uh, pieces of news we find out there in the ethos that have a direct impact or could potentially have a direct impact on uh, the turf grass industry, or at least the green industry as a whole here at home. And, uh, and so a lot of times you'll find us talking about things that occur overseas. A lot of times you'll find us talking about things that are happening here in the States. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, we, 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 we have a good time. How about that? Um, and, uh, uh, we are, we are known as, and I, and I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there that we are assholes, but we are not scumbags. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we, we, we're not afraid to, uh, step into a big, giant pile of doo-doo and kick it quite like a dog would uh because <laughs> why not um I'll, gentlemen I'll, I'll ray ryan huh go ahead Brian. what are we saying oh. well i was how are you guys how i was i'm gonna take yeah, umbrage with that statement I, I i don't think we're assholes i think uh there's an old saying that goes you know an asshole doesn't know any better but a prick knows exactly what he do is doing at all times and we are pricks hey. i think we're very yeah they're with the smile now, wait 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 let me put this up Smile on my I'm smiling. I For those of you that are listening to this and not watching, I'm smiling. Matt, I'd like to take it a step further, though, and I would like to say that we are very palatable pricks. <laughs> if there's anything that we are talking about on air that you find unpalatable, I promise. The last thing I'm concerned about is whether or not you hit the pause button or if you have a... Uh, uh, an Android, you hit the button on the left that brings up various windows and you swipe up on your podcast app and turn it off. I promise it's not going to hurt my feelings. But but if you are enjoying it and you, you crank the volume up to max and really bury your ears in your headphones to make sure you capture every word, I'm very appreciative of that as well, too. I don't I don't want to pretend like I hate everyone. I just hate everyone. Wait, did I? I think I said that wrong. That's my fault. <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. 
Ray, what's going on tonight? <laughs> what's going on tonight? Let's see. It is Sunday. So uh I this is a this is a a, a good question. I'm at a toss up or crossroads, okay? Meatloaf? What what? Oh uh let's see. Beef and uh, cheese burritos or a pizza. <laughs> a gigantic I'm pizza. I'm going to vote for burritos. Okay. I'm voting for, I'll vote for burritos too. It sounds pretty good. That yeah, because like good, you, like usually what I, how I do them is a, a home rolled tortilla, Jeez. plenty of ground beef, and lots of pepper jack cheese. With a, it with, a, with a thick smear of, uh, you know, salsa right down the middle. <laughs> Damn right. Ladies, he's single, right. and you can be assured he has no fungus on his fingers at any time. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is no uh, fungus on the fingers. <laughs> speaking, of, speaking of fungus on the fingers, we definitely have fungus out in the news that, uh, that needs to be fungicided away. And uh, so let's talk about this week's headlines. Nothing to fear here. This is just now, Matt. I just want to say and interject real quick. I'm, I'm glad that okay. you said that we're going to use fungus, fungicide on the news headlines, and we're not going to use MSMA because that's actually only legal for uh, golf courses and spot treatment there, and uh, over the top on sod farms. So, just let you know. I, I, I that appreciate that. Because if you didn't clear that up for me, I may have to throw a chest elbow, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. By the way, I have a link to my new parenting guide in the link in the description below, if you would like to learn more <laughs> about that. <laughs> so we have been talking about Sri Lanka for quite a while, and, and we're, not, we're not quite done with it yet, because now we're going to watch oh. how the fallout occurs. But before we get into Sri Lanka, I want to talk about something specific that's happening in a somewhat quasi-neighboring country. And this whole thing kind of popped into my headspace because um, uh, in lieu of arguing in the, uh, in the comments on Facebook videos, I went to where the rest of the world argues, and that is Twitter. And I like to type in you know, things like words like uh, pesticides or fertilizer into the into the search bar on Twitter and just take a look at, at what pops up. <laughs> um, and what's what's uh, what what popped up specifically is um, there is a second new uh, nano urea plant that has been built in India. Um, and what they are planning is by 2025 to have eight nano urea plants and stop importing urea completely. Now, I don't know if this is coming purely from the government, uh, but what is fascinating is um, we're here. We'll take a look at this article here from uh, uh, the Tribune. It says scientists advise use of liquid nano urea to increase yield and reduce pollution. Farmer skeptical. And we don't have to go through it because I think that headline perfectly summarizes there is that, um, you know, in the midst of everything that's kind of going on in Sri Lanka right now, I would say, you know, stepping too far outside of the line, like, completely eliminating all uh, urea availability for nano urea uh, because it's uh, it's more effective, it's eco-friendly, uh, it's cheaper, all that fun stuff. But what's fascinating here is that the IFFCO, 
And uh, I'm sure nobody listening to this knows what the hell that is, but that is the Indian Farmers Fertilizer Cooperative owns the majority of the patents related to um, uh, nano uh, nano urea in India. And uh, so I made the the comment that, uh, the, you know, a lot of the nano fertilizer research that I have personally done uh, is coming out of India. That is for sure. Uh, in fact, um, uh, even nano fertilizer research taking place in the United States, uh, it seems to be predominantly uh, uh, Indian PhDs that are undergoing this. So I, and I think a lot of that is just the overwhelming amount of focus that's being placed on this in India right now. And, uh, and, and let me tell you. I'm not saying this to slide at all. Fascinating, fascinating research. And that's why I, I've, I've, I've been reading about it. And, you know, uh, uh, Ryan, you and I obviously have had conversations off air about it. And it's something that's that's interesting nonetheless. And for those of you that are wondering what nano fertilizer is, is um, effectively what you're doing is stabilizing a suspension versus a solution of nanoparticles. So we'll say like less than 100 nanometers. And the idea is that if they're that small, uh, pretty much without restriction, they can pass into the uh, the foliage of the plant, right? Now, because it's so small uh, that some of the things that may make foliar uptake uh, a bit more difficult, less difficult. Right? It's just it's just tiny small. So I made the comment that I, I said, you know, it's a hot take to say that it will absolve, that nanourea will absolve all urea uh, dependence. And uh, I'm here to watch, learn, and arm check, armchair quarterback the shit out of this. So I bring that up to say, and I want to ask you gentlemen, this is given the, uh, there's, there's kind of a couple pieces here that I want to put together. We understand uh, nitrogen use efficiency. We also understand nitrogen demand. And the idea here that because we can reduce particle size, that all of a sudden we are circumventing what we understand as far as nitrogen use and nitrogen demand from the plant, right? We know the, the plant per um, amount of harvest that's going to take place is going to require a certain amount of nitrogen to, to hit that, um, uh, that yield level, right? And we also understand the efficiency of urea pretty well. I mean, I, it's something that has been uh, uh, demonstrated over and over and over and over. But now, apparently, because we're using nano urea, we're able to circumvent everything we've learned about uh, nutrient demand from the crop and nitrogen efficiency. Okay, now I'm going to parlay that. We've got brand new technology that's rewriting what we understand. We have a country uh, that has a farmer's cooperative that has completely uh, uh, taken over from a, a patent, so ownership perspective of this particular technology. The idea is that they're going to force urea out of availability in favor of they're in-country developed so that, you know, they're, they're less reliant upon foreign imports of urea, which is predominantly how they, uh, they, they bring in urea. Uh, so, you know, 13.7 million tons of urea is, is what, you know, they're forecasted to use by 2023. And taking into account what's, what happened in Sri Lanka, boys, I saw this, started putting this together, and I was like, oh, my God we may have a potential Sri Lanka part two. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get your take on it because to me, this is holy shit frightening to have the kind of aggression here to say that by 2025, we will absolve all urea use in favor of nano urea. 
Am I am I being a little uh, conspiratorial here, or is this where we? Where, nope. What's going on? I, nope. I want to know what nope. y'all's take is. Okay, no, Matt, you are not out of your mind because other thing about India that I'm very aware of is the massive amount of bullshit, bad science that comes out of India. I'm aware of that. And and that's why I'm asking your opinion. No, and, and so nano urea in and of itself. Now, urea is already a small, low molecular weight molecule that is highly soluble in water. I'm not understanding how that can be made smaller and more available via foliar uptake, for example, versus pure urea applied foliarly in water. I'm not understanding that. Uh, a it sounds- a nano urea particle is 30 nanometers, Ray. Mm-hmm. 30 nanometers. Okay. And there's no need for a particle of urea to be broken down to that because urea diffuses or dissolves in water completely. There's no need for it. Conversely, though, if you tell me you are going to atomize urea and then suspend those particles in an oil base, then we have something, but then that then defeats the purpose of having urea because the key feature of urea is that it readily diffuses into water and it goes wherever water goes, right? So. I think India is engaging in reinventing the wheel and that reinvention of the wheel is something that's going to come to bite them. And uh, by the way, uh, ever since number one, they couldn't keep their carbaryl plant from releasing MIC. And since they seem to be unable to keep their Orizolin plant from detonating, Mm. I don't trust them, okay? Because did you know that there's like an ongoing problem with the availability of surflan? I'm I'm not familiar with it. Okay, surflan is another dinitroaniline herbicide, and previously it was a product that was manufactured and mar- marketed by Dow Agrosciences. Mm-hmm. And then, in the 2000s, the rights of that got sold to United Phosphorus of India. And ever since then, Horizon uh, or Surfland has been an extremely erratic supply and problem cited was the fact that they can't seem to keep their plant from detonating because you see, in order to make a dinitroaniline herbicide, you need to nitrate organic molecules and nitration of organic molecules. uh, That's a very risky process. 
So I get it. And that's from a, a manufacturing perspective. And, and you know, that sounds like mm-hmm. and all, all of those, you know, you're talking about a lot of intermediate chemicals that are used to, to synthesize all this. Mm-hmm. But Ryan, I, w- I want to ask you, um, you know, like some of the things I've read specifically would be like uh, 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 nano zinc uh, on seed coatings and seeing actually a lot of positive uh, uh, data on that here conducted here in the United States. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious your take on this, the totality of the situation. Is this is this for the good or the bad? Because I, I can kind of see both sides of the aisle here pretty easily on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's maybe an idea ahead of its time, right? In terms of uh, as we saw with Sri Lanka, I don't know that it's the same thing there. It seems uh, maybe a little less confrontational than it was there. But the idea that we can deploy this at scale, right, and especially in a uh, a country like India that has, I don't know, it's in <laughs> what probably the top uh, five or six agricultural production nations. I'm going to say something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that's a little bit of a stretch. It seems like, um, you know, the 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 nano fertilizer technology stuff you know there's a lot of good research out there that's done on extremely small scales extremely short time horizons and you know when it comes to crop production there's some very limited data on uh you know corn and some other crops that you know there's one a, a while back about pomegranates and stuff like that like it's just been sort of all over the place right and I think it's almost like, you know, any type of R&D into a product, especially in the ag space, right, is you hunt and peck until you find something that works, and then you exploit the shit out of it, right? And this seems like we're skipping the step of find out exactly what works and how it works. I mean, a lot of these papers will tell you that we don't yet understand, right, the mode of action within the plant. Like, how does this actually um, changing nutrient uptake and nutrient efficiency nutrient use efficiency within the plant you know we've seen some really good uh, results like you were saying matt with the zinc uh nickel nano nano nickel is another one and please for the love of god i'm not endorsing that you go out and buy uh nickel fertilizers to help your plants but nickel is a key component in uh several enzymes several key enzymes that convert uh, urea over to an ammonium ion and you know without it you 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 don't have that conversion and simply your plants are going to die so we have we we have uh seldom seen a nickel deficiency in turf grass right i think what this is saying is that hey rather than taking it up from the soil and the plant using it uh, in its oh let's just say natural physiological processes we're kind of short-circuiting that a little bit and uh hot wiring it to a, to a degree inside the plant right so that we can maximize the uptake and the use efficiency on you know something like a urea application an nano fertilized urea to do that at scale across in a country the size of india well good that, fucking luck no that's going to take a lot for now and for now yep for now and then the other now i can see and I'm going to be a very reasonable person in that I'm also seeing the benefits of efficient application technology as well. 
because the old standard for application, especially in low technology countries, has been to soil load at very high rates. I get that. And I'm not in favor of that practice. However, I'm also realistic in thinking that maybe, just maybe, some of those applications could be replaced by higher efficiency liquid and foliar applications because that's what I advocate for in turf grass. Rather than throwing it down and hoping for the best, uh, I'm always in favor of extremely targeted, predictable, and scalable applications where I apply X amount of nitrogen. I know what that amount of nitrogen is going to do regarding the plant's growth. And I also have an idea as to how long that response is going to take place. And so I have nothing against a liquid type application. It's just that when you, somebody tells me nano urea, my scam alert, uh, you know, alarms go off. Because you know, urea, there are certain there are certain nutrients that are difficult to get into the plant, and uh, yeah. and that could be due to soil pH, whatever the case may be. Nitrogen is never really one of the ones that we struggle to get. It's into not. The plant. It's, it's it's everything not. downstream of urea, right? Yeah, because you see, urea with a non-ionic surfactant is normally one of the most foliarly available nitrogen sources and that is next to for example you want to know what else is very plant available as a foliar either calcium nitrate ammonium nitrate or potassium nitrate those are also very foliarly available so in actual practice if you want high nitrogen efficiency are you familiar with uan yeah, of course. Yeah, that is a very effective liquid foliar nitrogen source. <laughs> and there is no trickery or proprietary technology associated with that. And it's easily produced and it's a recognized commodity, right, Matt? That's uh, traded internationally on the fertilizer market and... Growers know what it is. Agronomists know what it is. Uh, and it is just a proven product. You see, my concern is here we go with India trying to reinvent the wheel, and I hope this doesn't come back to burn them. You know, exactly. And I think, I think that's my main concern here is that I don't want to see another Sri Lanka situation take place, especially yes. in a country the size of India. And like Demay says, the velocity of, of adapting the, uh, of adopting these types of practices is oftentimes what ends up causing problems. Right. And setting mm -hmm. a kind of milestone like 2025, uh, mm -hmm. to completely absolve all urea. And there, and again, you know, I, I'm sure it's out there and I just haven't found it yet how they are able to um, uh, quantify exactly 
the nitrogen use efficiency of a nano urea versus a traditional urea may look. And in a lot of the literature I've read, it's it's a stretch, right? Like, for instance, one of the things, and I'll tell you, I got sucked into this too, was the uh, efficiency of urea could be as low as 20%. Well, the, the key word there is that could be, could be is the, mm-hmm. is the key word there. And so while there is great potential for urea loss, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's always going to be that bad. So do the economics make sense only when you're at, at, when you're at 20% efficiency of urea you applied? Or do the same economics come into play with if urea is at 80% efficiency? Or say through the adaptation of a urease inhibitor, you're at 85% efficiency. Now, does the efficiency of nano urea make up that economic difference? I don't know. And I think a lot of these questions are have not been answered yet, but it's something now that it's on my radar, um, I think I think we'll all stay in tune with. Um, the next one here that we're going to jump into is... Uh, uh, a little write-up about the Dutch farmer revolt. We we talked about this last week as well. Uh, and they're saying, you know, there will be unrest all over. And, you know, DeMay kind of gave us the background of this, that, you know, they were uh, uh, basically uh, 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 given the opportunity to figure out how they're going to make uh, uh, cuts to uh, uh, atmospheric nitrogen loss and effectively – uh, no one really did anything about it, and uh, and so now uh, the government has decided that they're going to come in and set the expectations on what uh, uh, nitrogen emissions are going to look like. And as part of that, unfortunately, it means some of these people who have leveraged their farms to scale uh, livestock production are now going to be put out of business because their nitrogen emissions are going to be uh, slashed by as much as 70%. So kind of a bad deal. We'll kind of just summarize this here. A series of farmer-led demonstrations against government climate rule in the Netherlands could be beginning of a global movement, according to experts interviewed by Fox News Digital. The Dutch government issued a plan in June laying out nitrogen emission reductions, largely targeting the nation's agricultural industry, uh, which produces an outsized share uh, of such emissions, according to a report for U.S. Department of Agriculture's Foreign Agricultural Service, the FSA. The government, though, directly acknowledged that there is not a future for all farmers to continue their business under the proposal. And that part right there has everybody kind of wigged out, right? Uh, The proposal to sharply cut nitrogen emissions is tied to a 2019 Dutch court decision forcing the nation's government to take a more aggressive measure to curb nitrogen emissions. The Netherlands, though, has heavily regulated agricultural emissions since the 90s, and farmers have largely complied with such rules. The Netherlands emits a large quantity of nitrogen because of its massive agricultural industry, which accounts for 87% of the country's 124 million kilograms of uh, annual ammonia emissions. The nation exported a whopping $26.8 billion worth of food products, uh, despite having relatively tiny population compared to other major producers. Uh, it is not very rational to curb Dutch agriculture if you realize that they have the highest production per acre in the world, and therefore the environmental load per kilo- kilogram of food is lower than elsewhere. Uh, so in a sense, Dutch agriculture is a benefit for climate as well as for biodiversity. Of course, that's going to be the opposing, you know, the in support of you and then the opposing view is that, well, you're still releasing a shit ton of ammonia into the, into the atmosphere. And here's the thing is that, you know, now, and again, I'm going to tie this back in. You've got Sri Lanka going through this. I'm hearing in uh, uh, Ireland, this is beginning to bubble. Um, of course, you know, we had... <clears throat> I, I would say Canada is is ripe for some weirdness to continue to take place there in response to uh, everything that, that went on there earlier in the year. Um, 
and people and other uh, nations that are going to begin to adopt this as, as you know part of the protocol that well if they're doing it i'm doing it kind of thing and again, I want to clarify here that I do think it's important that everyone in every industry do their absolute best that they possibly can with the data they have in front of them uh, to uh, be as environmentally friendly as possible. I think that's a, that's an extremely important thing. However, and again, I'm repeating myself. What a Demay says that it's the it's the uh, the velocity of implementation that oftentimes causes panic, and especially given the state of the global union right now. Um, it freaks people out. Um, if you haven't seen, you know, like for instance, in Africa, the riots taking place, uh, right now because of, uh, uh, inflation, uh, people not being able to afford things. I, I would say globally right now, there is a lot of unrest that's kind of simmering and all it takes is a little nudge or, um, a, a little push to knock all the upright matchsticks over before a major fire begins to unfold. And, uh, you know, we saw it with the Arab Spring and what resulted of that. And I kind of feel like I kind of feel like this is um, uh, has the the, the underlying uh, workings of being maybe not as aggressive because, you know, there was a lot of other crazy shit going on at the time. But um, there's going to be a lot of pissed off people. And as as we see, you know, with Dutch farmers driving through cities, spraying shit water all over everyone um, and then the police shooting at them. <laughs> You know, it, 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 it's, it's not a good look. I don't know. So I wanted to, I wanted to pipe in here with you guys, you know, given, given what's going on, given the fact that uh, come harvest time this year is when we're really going to begin to feel the effects of, uh, of inflation. Uh, when we begin to feel the effects of uh, uh, crop production costs earlier, earlier this year. And, what we see with grain prices right now, you know, we were grain prices were real strong, and that's what justified all the high input costs. Now, uh, the grain markets are not looking anywhere near as strong as they were, and as a result of that, you know, now do the economics of the inputs that were bought earlier uh, lay into this, and then you add on top of that the fact that, well, guess what? We're probably going to take your farm away too. So not only are we putting you into into debt once, we're putting you into debt twice with no opportunity uh for rhyme or recourse so i don't know ray is this is, is this the end is this the great reset that that some people talk about i don't know i think so i honestly think <laughs> that this is no this is the plan and like it or not you know i am constantly seeing this theme and i've become aware of this theme i think in the last uh i want to say 10 years of how everybody is always being told that they have to give up something have to give up meat have to give up uh agriculture have to give up uh material goods i mean and my question is now becoming okay who makes the decision who gives up what who makes that decision and after that decision is made who actually needs to give up everything that the elites are telling people that they need to give up i mean this is a question that 
I am not getting satisfactory answers to. And whenever the environmentalists are out in the media painting this picture of, oh, we need to give up everything in order to save the earth. Uh, at no time do any of these fuckers tell me to my face <laughs> who has to give up what. I mean, and how much, okay? They've never told me straight to my face that truth or that fact. I mean, they I'm much less on that subject. I'm much less pessimistic about this than Ray. I I I don't I don't think that this is I don't think this is the reset, but I I think I think it does keep people in a state of heightened uh on the verge of panic and I do think that is the the desired outcome is um because you know maybe maybe and this is again just totally me spitballing ideas out here. Uh, maybe the thought is is that if people are in a heightened state of anxiety and panic, they are more likely to adopt these things quicker with less with less uh, pushback. Unfortunately, uh, you know they uh. they have the, the farmers out there that have to feel the immediate effects of this, and uh, and you know they're going to fight for what they do, and they're going to they're going to fight hard. And you know, in the, the part that's going to get weird is that it, of course it's going to be politicized that farmers are fringe, and uh, and. Um, and people That's who support point. support the farmers are fringe, and uh, and then you know we're going to be stuck pointing figures in a, a pointing fingers in a political way and calling each other ultra MAGA and and snowflakes <laughs> and everything else, and you know it's just going to get weird, right? That's the point, though, dude. Like that's the big picture point of this whole thing. Like the whole velocity of change argument, all that kind of stuff. It's just that the the period of uncertainty that we're in right now. If everything was status quo, if everything was hunky dory, all that kind of stuff, it wouldn't make news, wouldn't make votes, wouldn't make people, you know, feel compelled to speak out and take a stand politically in one way or the other. So what do you do, right? Whether it's manufactured, it's real or somewhere in between, it's implied, right? It's perceived, and here we are. So <laughs> anything that they can do to do that, that's what will continue to happen. And by they uh, I mean everybody scripted is uh is how i often refer to that and i have no other better uh word to uh describe what i would call the state of affairs right now other than scripted uh, it's a complete and total uh joke in my opinion uh this week we are brought to you by our patrons uh and listen patrons for for first i want to thank the patrons because the patrons are actually the ones who are listening and watching right now as we record. Did you know we record this on video? You can check it out on YouTube. Uh, if you don't want to sit and watch the video, I don't blame you. Uh, I would listen <laughs> to it as well. Um, uh, but, you know, of course, you know, we're on Spotify and all that fun stuff. But if you are of the means and uh, and would like to be a supporter of the show and the, and the way we kind of structure this is the patrons, they actually get to pick all the episode titles. Um, in fact, I actually uh, had the patrons choose the title of the, uh, the the cutout clip that we we threw up this week. So uh, all that fun stuff. Then we have some other things too. At you know the higher tiers, you get uh, various uh, access to, to different merch that we produce, exclusive merch, uh, including exclusive T-shirts. I think uh, Ray is wearing one of our exclusive patron T-shirts right now. As a matter yeah. of fact, 
And, see this uh, beautiful, beautiful <laughs> shirt in the death van we're riding in there. And that is a cloud of glyphosate that is, uh, that is behind <laughs> us. And we chose Ray to drive in that scenario because he was the most sober of the group. And uh, and that's why why he was piloting us around. Um, and uh, and of course, you know, you get a- access to us in a more one on one type of uh, scenario because you get access to our private discord server. We can come hang out. We do. Uh, all kinds of Zoom meetings and can ask us questions directly one-on-one and try to help you out, whether you're a lawn care operator or a homeowner or whatever the case may be. We actually do some pretty, pretty significant dives. And, uh, and there's some incredibly bright people in there that uh, that are able to add um, a significant amount to the uh, to the conversation there. So uh, if you are of the means to check it out, uh, it's, it's very affordable. Check us out, patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Uh, DeMay had to step away real quick. Uh, otherwise, we were going to jump into our most controversial segment, jo- Jono Surf. So probably what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump into this week's Burns, and then we will circle back to Jow Knows Turf. How about them? Sheila is uh, Sheila is upset over cut and kill lawn care is what it is, and she I think is so. taking taking it out on any any man that will give her attention. <laughs> it's a sad existence, Sheila. I hope you get the help you need. Uh, we're here for <laughs> you, um, at least at least in in with words. We're here we're here to support you with words. Never never anything other than. Please stay a uh, what is it? What 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 is social distancing now? Six feet. Please keep six feet away from us. We don't <laughs> we don't we don't want your film getting on us. Uh, Cut and Kill Lawn Care is suing its insurance company after it informed the Sioux Falls company that it would not cover damages for more than three hundred lawns that were chemically burned after an incorrect fertilizer application. According to court documents, Cut and Kill Lawn Care sued United Fire, an insurance company based out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa. At the end of June, for a base number of $75,000. According to the documents, the amount in controversy is in excess of $75,000, exclusive of interest and cost. After a disastrous weed control application back in April and May, Cut and Kill was left to cover the damages done to 302 properties in the Sioux Falls and Harrisburg area. The company's insurance provider, United Fire, uh, stated in mid June that they would not provide coverage for the damages, a claim that Cut and Kill owner Tate Heining said he would fight. We've analyzed the policy and have concluded there is no coverage for customers of Cut and Kill whose lawns were damaged. Uh, Casey Prince, a media representative for United Fire Group, said in a statement at the time. Ining filed a lawsuit on June 24 saying United Fire's actions were in breach of the insurance contracts as well as the duties of good faith and fair dealing, according to court documents. Cut and Kill is subjected to uh, is subject to potentially millions of dollars of liability claims as customers demand a, vi- a variety of redress, including but not limited to demands for seed, seeding, overseeding, hydroseeding, resodding, and other alleged damages. Uh, the documents note the primary insurance policy for Cut and Kill. Oh man, uh, for Cut and Kill has a coverage limit of two million, and the umbrella policy covers up to an additional three million for damages caused by bodily injury or property damage. Cut and Kill also argues that United Fire didn't ask for more information for their investigation into the claims and therefore failed to properly investigate before denying coverage. Um, 
Uh, the chemical burn was caused by a cut and kill employee mixing the wrong chemicals for routine weed control application between April 9th and May 3rd. Uh, the chemicals weren't activated until early May after temperatures warmed up, which is when the mistake became apparent. Dead launch brought it up throughout Sioux Falls. Uh, the Harrisburg-based company took steps to remedy the issue, including seating properties for 250 to 302 affected customers, but a delay in answers from the insurance provider led to a loss of customers. Ining said that the court document he had gotten screamed at 15 times a day for the last two weeks because he wasn't able to provide updates on the insurance. He also said he was losing many accounts and that a lack of answers could lead to an unrecoverable fallout. Cut and Kill eventually stopped all mowing and fertilizer services because of the, the, the way that just uh, uh, unfolded. So, Interesting. They filed a lawsuit against it. We'll see how the hell this shakes out. I, I, to, to be honest, if I had to guess, this is where it's going to die in the news. Uh, because ha- however this pans out, I, I think I think Cut and Kill has already written this off as, um, all right, we're going to have to CYA here. And, uh, and then if we end up winning something in the lawsuit, then it works to, the, uh, to, to our, our benefit. Uh, but but, you know, they, they, they've already nixed their Furt and Squirt division, and they're just riding the lightning at this point. When are we going to mm-hmm. do a rebrand uh, and, and you know, reincorporate the businesses, uh, kill and cut, right, with the uh, three ace hose as the noose, and you, know, you get the sprayer <laughs> truck on the end of it? I, <laughs> I, got, some, I, mean, I got branding ideas. I'm just Th- asking. Yeah, I mean, Nobody will yeah. notice. Yeah, maybe nobody will notice because uh, Dad, Dad, here's Dad Gum, you ever hear of that kill and cut place? Yeah, go five the stars on Google. Because here's the thing about a general liability policy that I need to reiterate: in cases of negligence, there's fine print on every general liability business policy. The insurance company does not have to cover damages. As a result of negligence. I mean, that is that is printed on my policy. And I keep that in mind every time I'm about to do something. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, that's just and then that that's just how I how, how I take it because I I am gathering that the insurance company decided that what occurred could only have happened as a result of gross negligence i mean how else how else i mean uh because you know i'm familiar with instances of negligence on the part of an employee having severe consequences for a company I mean, let's, let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, again, I, you know, who knows if this is for the best that they're no longer on there. I, mistakes happen, you know, uh, especially in, in commercial lawn care. I've, I've seen it happen in places I've worked. Um, and let I've me, known it to happen to other question. people, too. Go ahead. Real quick. Let's, let's just think about this logistically and logically for a second. 302 accounts, right? Let's mm-hmm. just say that this was one guy making that mistake. Now, I don't know enough to understand. A lot of these looks like they were in the pictures. They're all pretty close, tight routes, everything like that. How long, how many days of work would it take to get through 302 accounts? 
Um, I would guess. Uh, if, I, I would. I would say you're going to average 22 a day. Here is the uh, the caveat to that is that I don't know what their uh, hours per day that they can work due to freezing temperatures would be. Um, just because you know it's April. Just, let's just say an average day. South just say an average day. We'll say we'll say 22 lawns a day. You know, 13 days. So you're talking about two and a half work weeks, kind of thing. Almost three that's work a long weeks. Long time. That's a long time. Sure. The, the, and the, 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 uh, this is one, one, one day thing. And I'm not like, dogging on them. I'm just saying, like, this was worse than, like, mm-hmm. an accident, a mistake, something bad happened. Like, this was a total systemic fucking failure. Oh, it's, yeah. it was just, it was a batch mix. It was a batch mix failure. And then the batch mix was, was, uh, implemented and, and, uh, and applied. Dispensed over, so, yeah, dispensed over 300 something lawns because, like I was mm-hmm. mentioning last week, I got to look. At what happens when somebody has a sprayer, they forgot or are unaware of what's in that sprayer, they proceed to apply it, and then what's left is a big freaking dead area in the lawn that's not supposed to be there. And I finally figured it out in that I had to tell somebody, I think this area of turf got a total kill <laughs> no other way to explain it but then that's the kind of thing that can happen as a result of negligence i mean uh because here's the thing matt and ryan tell me now do most glyphosate bottles for example look almost like or exactly like a bottle of say triclopyr or three-way all right they do listen this is it this i just came up with our million dollar idea right there Mm -hmm. and it's another ray just just talking and spewing knowledge and it just made me think of an idea we need to get into the manufacturing space and we need to get to a container manufacturer and what I need to know from you guys is, for all non-selective herbicides, that's all we'll sell, and we will sell them in some uh, originally shaped containers. Like, it could be a, I don't know, like the Eiffel Tower-shaped container, or, you know, a phallic container. And that way you will always hey. know, oh, hey, I need, to pour, I need to pour four ounces per gallon of this Roundup out of this penis-shaped container into the I tank, think they and I won't filled- forget... I'm just saying, I think it's a good idea because you'll never miss, right? Okay, because by hey, the way, you know, you know why, you know why I'm thinking about this? Don't grab it like that. You know, because you know what I'm thinking about this is because back when I was much younger, I still remember what the bottle of Ortho Paraquat CL looked like. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I remember it is because the bottle cap for that was this big red cap with a skull and crossbone across that cap and you had to squeeze that cap from two sides in order to be able to twist that cap off that bottle but then right as you were grabbing it there was like a big skull and crossbones looking at you so you knew exactly what the hell you were about to dispense (laughs) 
I still no, think listen. they filled okay. a, an unlabeled container. Like that is, I think they were bulk filling out of a drum or a tote. They filled an unlabeled container and then yeah. was, was, was mm-hmm. mixing, you know, say they filled four, two and a halfs or whatever. And, uh, and went out and, w- and was, was using that. The only yeah. thing I, I mean, was going to say just for, for consciousness is if I have a penis shaped container in my hand, I'm still probably going to spill some on the floor and I'm always going to hear my mom and my wife. Like, Don't get any on the floor. And practice is good measure. So I think <laughs> I'll be I'll be more aware at that point. So I uh, listen. Penis pesticides LLC coming to a store near you in 2023. I can't wait. Yeah, uh, check the URL. Moreau Planning Board to vote Monday on Saratoga Biochar Solutions proposal. Oh yes, this is phallic. This is on devices our... with glyphosate um, or biochar. We, we have talked about this before, and uh, and this is up in New York uh, somewhere. Uh, what is it, Moreau County, I guess? And uh, yep. and and so there is there is a biochar company that wants to come in and set up a uh, a biochar plant where they pyrolyze the uh, sewage sludge, aka biosolids, that are coming from a wastewater treatment facility, and the members of the of the surrounding communities express concern that their pyrolysis temperatures are not going to be high enough to deal with PFAS in the wastewater uh, sewer sludge. And they are saying, yes, we do get there. And they're saying, no, you don't get there. And uh, the community is saying, well, we're looking at uh, the uh, the EPA report on how to uh, degrade PFAS, and it doesn't look like you're getting there. And they're like, no, 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 trust us. We're getting there kind of sort of thing. <laughs> well, Ultimately, what's being hinged upon here is whether or not they could pursue uh, proceed is uh, this vote here with the planning board, right? And uh, and so for all of those reasons, that's you know it, it, this whole thing may not have the opportunity to get off uh, get off the ground even to begin with. Now, here's the thing: is <laughs> boy, when it comes to uh, uh biochar production and PFAS, you know, you know, typically what you're going to see from biochar production is anywhere ranging from 250 C all the way up to a thousand, maybe 1100 C. And if I recall correctly, you needed in, uh, in a period of time, a duration at somewhere around 1400 C to break by, uh, apart the fluoride bonds and the PFAS. Uh, and then the other thing you have to take into account is that as you break, break those fluoride bonds is what the hell are you doing with the fluoride? Because in all likelihood, if you're dealing with the volatiles of organic matter plus fluoride, you're going to get the form, the formation of some hydrogen fluoride. And now you're dealing with a highly toxic gas to begin with. So the whole thing is shaky. But, but. You know what it does have in its favor? It has in its favor that it is, and I'm going to use my favorite startup word of the day, is that it is uh, um, uh, it is uh, upcycling, reclaiming, and uh, 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 co-products. How about, how about that? That is the most friendly way that I can put that. Upcycling, co-products. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I don't know. Again, I'm so jaded in the biochar space due to, uh, Alt-In, the projects I've been a part of, uh, the projects that have gone on simultaneous to things that I was doing. I have such 
a jaded view on all this that I look at this and I, I all I can hear in my ears is just someone screaming at the as loud as they possibly can bullshit into both ears simultaneously. Uh, Matt, am I one of the guys screaming bullshit? Uh, you are. Uh, definitely okay. Ray is there in my ear <laughs> screaming. Yeah, because you see, you just raised several questions. One, are they able to get to the temperature needed to break the carbon fluorine bonds? And number two, once they break those bonds, what is their plan to deal with both the hydrogen fluoride and the fluorine gas that is going to be created? Because last time I checked, there are two substances that I know I don't care to have to deal with. Number one is hydrogen fluoride, and the number two is elemental fluorine gas, because those two substances are, they go on record as some of the most toxic and reactive substances you can possibly deal with. Because to give you an idea, Matt, there are very few materials that resist fluorine gas or hydrogen fluoride. All right? Stainless steel? Nope. Uh, PVC? Nope. Steel? Nope. I mean, you will have a devil of a time containing and safely dealing with those two substances. And I still don't see the plan in place as to how this company intends to deal with that should they successfully generate fluorine and hydrogen fluoride when they break the bonds of the PFAS and break it down to carbon and uh, fluorine. <laughs> Demay, uh, I'm going to commit <laughs> career suicide real quick. And uh, <laughs> if this is a go, you know that means that both uh, Lebanon Seaboard and Anderson's are going to have their fill of really, really cheap biochar. Did I, did I say hmm. that quiet enough that no one could hear me? Was that too loud? Uh, you know, Should I whisper? But, <laughs> What? Oh no! You can you can talk it for you know here at Saratoga Biochar Solutions, we're trying to find ways to upcycle, provide new ways to pollute your environment with biochar. Oh God! <laughs> that that is uh, that was much more tactile than, than I did, and direct, as a matter of fact. No, I mean, I, I, here's the question: is no nobody really knows, and even they don't know, and that's all I'm trying to say. I, I'm not trying to be slanderous it's just that uh like what you said there, there's a sleazy side to this part of the business and you know it just again looking at uh, i gotta look this up on the map because there's some large river that this is uh oh dear to. please yeah, please don't i mean please no i mean is it the because... hudson? It's hudson river i think oh, oh for, yeah, for goodness hudson, sake it's because not, it's literally like right next to the hudson river no because Hasn't the Hudson River been through enough? Because well, in New York previous, City. In New York City. No, be, yeah, because previously, the Hudson River was pumped full of PCBs by GE. Previously. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. 
And so now I'm doing really well. Are right we, now, by the way? Yeah, yeah. Are we going to then see we're going to subject this river to possible fluorides and maybe even unreacted PFAS? Wow, wow. I mean, it's uh, because you know I'm under the idea that there are certain materials that they're garbage. They're trash. And as such, we should not be upcycling it. We shouldn't be playing with it. We should simply be safely disposing of it in a way I, that that substance never sees light of day again. <laughs> I, I hope so. Too, in, okay. go, go ahead. Go ahead, man. <laughs> All I was going to say is this is, you know, it said that they, you know, conducted a review with uh, the Department of Environmental Quality there in New York, which I'm sure is very stringent. But I also wonder, too, if the rules, regulations and laws have caught up with everything that could potentially mm-hmm. go wrong here. And so maybe by the letter of the law, hey, things are all this is all good, you know, fine and dandy, all wonderful. But mm-hmm. we know that there are some uh, advances in uh, manufacturing and pollution technology that have haven't quite gotten picked up yet by rules and regulations. So I'll be interested to see if this is uh, the lesson or the rule. And I hope, I truly do hope, and, and you can check them out, uh, uh, saratogabiochar.com. They have a frequently asked questions, fact versus fiction, right on the front of their website right there. And I hope they do have the new technology that will pioneer this and, uh, and, and bring green back to wastewater treatment facilities. I, and that would be honestly one of the best things to happen to the biochar industry. And I'm 100% in favor of it, but I'm a very, very, very jaded human being. Um, the last article here on our burns is going to be the farmer's daughter. Uh, and this is, this is her uh, little opinion piece here. Uh, money grubbing lawyers target yet another herbicide in TV ads. Uh, if you poll any random group of Americans are likely to tell you about political television commercials are the absolute worst. And heading into the midterm elections, it's about to heat up. Before long, our favorite crime dramas and reality show indulgences will be interrupted by attack ads paid for by disclaimers and polit- uh, politicians awkwardly pretending to be normal people. Um, if you're watching, and I'm going to skip down here. Uh, if you were watching television <laughs> in almost any U.S. market in March or April, you probably saw advertisements soliciting would-be plaintiffs who were exposed to crop protection tool Paraquat and later developed Parkinson's disease. Nearly 15,000 commercials ran in April to the tune of $1.9 million. The lawsuits aimed at Paraquat aren't new. They started back in 2017, but the media blitz was the highest ever in March and April of 2022, though the 2021 campaign was nothing to sneeze at. Uh, like Roundup, Paraquat is widely used uh, in the United States. Uh, unlike glyphosate, Paraquat is restricted use pesticide and may only be applied by certified applicators. According to the US EPA, uh, one sip is lethal. Who could forget the ridiculous is glyphosate is safe, then why don't you drink it, taunts? Uh, oddly, some people were transferring the herbicide into beverage containers where an unsuspecting uh, victim would drink it. The EPA specifically wrote regulations about this. But for the general public, Paraquat poses no real risk. The EPA's 2019 Human Health Assessment found uh, if it, it found no dietary risk or of concern associated with Paraquat when it's used according to label instructions. Certified applicators who are most likely to come in contact with it are required to take certain measures to reduce their risk of exposure. Most importantly, the EPA concluded the association with Parkinson's disease is unfa- the association with Parkinson's disease is unfounded. After a thorough review of the best available science as required under FIFRA, EPA has not found a clear link between Paraquat exposure from labeled uses and adverse health outcomes such as Parkinson's disease and cancer. Uh, too bad commercials left that part out. Um, 
and then it goes on to say that you know uh, mass tort litigation is big business, uh, and the lady who authored the, authored this is a lawyer herself, and will say litigation is expensive even when you have a good case. These large scale cases require more capital, sometimes attracting third party investors like hedge funds. In other words, there are literally financiers with no connection to the case who profit when plaintiffs recover big judgments. Uh, so. Uh, now we have a recipe for exist, uh, uh, for success. Invent questionable scientific evidence, find a sympathetic plaintiff, sue the manufacturer, and payday. This isn't about justice or paying for someone's cancer treatments. This is about big money. And for farmers, that's a scary prospect. So, I, I, again, you know, I don't want to pretend like uh, Paraquat is a safe herbicide. It is not. 100%. <laughs> not at no. all. And 99.8% of the population has no business even talking about Paraquat, um, I would Correct. say that we do as uh, uh, license holders for our respective states um, and getting involved in the industry in a time where rules around and understanding around Paraquat was a little bit more lax than it is today, uh, that we are qualified to speak on this and to inform the general public that does listen to this to say, uh, stay the fuck away from Paraquat at all costs. Um, now, again, Parlaying this back into what's going on in this particular instance, in reality, what we're seeing is riding the coattails of the glyphosate craze. Uh, glyphosate is the big boogeyman in the room right now. And if you've got one that is scary as shit, you might as well attach on every chemical that you possibly can to, again, to keep the fear heightened, to make sure everyone is in a constant state of turmoil. And second question, whether or not uh, that, you know, the tragedy they experienced was caused by somehow, some way, some sort of exposure to a chemical they may or may not actually have had exposure to. Okay. I, I'm calling BS on that whole paraquat and Parkinson's disease uh, deal because, as I remember, I know or I knew a lot of people that were exposed to tremendous amounts of paraquat in the 1980s and the 1990s. And to my knowledge, none of them, none of them had Parkinson's disease at the end of that. And I'm talking about my grandfather's barefoot farmer friends who, uh, okay, they were dispensing that orthoparaquat CL but they weren't in the spacesuit. But the understanding was, is that you didn't drink the stuff and you sure as heck didn't inhale any spray mists from it and you'd be okay. And to my knowledge, all of those people literally passed away after living o over 90 to 100 years old and they passed from something other than Parkinson's disease, or even cancer caused by the by the glyphosate. Well, what we've learned so, is that it doesn't it doesn't matter it 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 doesn't matter whether or not uh, uh, Parkinson's was generated by Paraquat or not. What matters is that you find a compelling enough story that you can take to court and get a big enough settlement to pay back all the money it took to find that one person. Right? I mean, that's mm -hmm, the reality correct. of the situation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that we're in such a litigious environment. And, ha you know, shout out to our uh, chief litigator of the uh, of the show and a, and a damn good sponsor, Jesse Busquet. Kept me out of jail last you know. week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Listen, the only two things that you need when you go out every day is $300 in your socks for bail and Jesse Bousquet's business card. That's it. <laughs> Everything else will take care of itself. I know. I, trust me, I was nervous when the cop showed up. I made one phone call. No problems. It was all taken care of. No problems. You don't get that kind of respect anymore. This is just, again, endemic of the shitbags, assholes, and scumbags, Matt, to give you a little callback from earlier in the show, mm-hmm. that uh, have nothing better to do than to create controversy, get people riled up, and, uh, you know, attempt to profit off of it. And, you know, it's just like, uh, seriously, if you think about it, these uh, these lawsuits on these, you know, fringe issues and, th- and shit like this, it's no different than VC, right? It's no different than venture capitalism where you win some, you lose some. And we'll yep. take those bets. Uh, we skipped it earlier, but it is time to get back to it. Uh, gentlemen, how about this week's Joe Knows Turf? <laughs> Joe Knows Turf! Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. Because, because Joe knows, knows turf. turf. <laughs> yes, he does. And uh, Demay, you have a doozy for us today. I reckon. Uh, I don't know if it's a doozy or not. I haven't. I, I may or may not have seen this. I'm not exactly sure. But uh, give us a rundown. Well, if you you would have seen it, and I'll tip the hand a little bit, you would have seen it if you were a member of the channel, and you got to visit our after show on Thursday nights after Thursday. Oh, Thursday. it's so we that have. guy. Yeah, and listen, uh, this okay. this is uh, in response to uh, if you're in uh, anywhere really in the interior part of the country right now, the weather has been uh, kind of sucky. And this week spicy. coming up, it's 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 about to get real spicy, Matt. It's about to get to that you know level of wings you have to sign a fucking waiver for at the restaurant before you go ahead and eat them, right? <laughs> kind of gotta mm-hmm. wash your hands in a uh, parts cleaner at a mechanic shop before you go to the bathroom with them, you know that mm-hmm. that, that level, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, in this case here, uh, with the weather being what it's going to be, we've got to get a lot of products down right to take care of things and make sure we're covered and everything Wait, like that what? and a lot of what well uh, a lot of products products what different what kind of products materials well we're gonna find out because uh this gentleman here wants to show us uh, all the stuff that he wants to spray oh boy <laughs> it's super aggressive on it aggressive to the point where i would suggest you don't do what i'm about to do today we're gonna put uh, pause what now I want to wanted to start it there because he says I'm going to get super aggressive with it. And it's something I wouldn't recommend that you do. And so, this to me, this this to me, gentlemen, and I'm I'm curious on this issue before we dive into the content of the video. You know, uh, in my mind, it's when we cross over that that threshold from hey, this is my vlog, and I'm just showing you what I do, and this, that, and the other thing, and hey. People do all sorts of weird shit all the time. Sometimes they videotape it, and even further, sometimes they put it on YouTube and social media. Now, when you cross over the line where you are recommending products, selling products, you know, using affiliate links for products, things like that, I think you have to tread a little bit more lightly. I think you really do because people might take that as an endorsement of, hey, do this, even though I said not to do it. And we certainly saw that in last week's Jono's Turf segment, which you can check out as a little gobbler on the channel familiar. So, 
let's see what old boy does here with all these products. Let's see. We're going to put 10 products down in the backyard today. We got a storm <clears> coming in, so it's going to help oh, water it all in. Really? Don't do what I'm about to do. But let's see what happens. Pause. Don't do what I'm about to do, but let's see what happens. Now, listen, if you uh, are a longtime fan of the program and you know uh, you know about some of the competitions and things that we've had over the past year or so since doing this, uh, you'll know that this guy has firmly supplanted himself as the leader in the clubhouse for the 2022 Jimmy Lewis Award. Please go ahead <laughs> and don't do this, even though I'm about to do it, put it on camera and not apologize for it. Jay Pink, please continue. <laughs> so let's go through what we're going to put down today. We're going to do a lot of stress mitigation products and not a lot of NPK. We're going to put down some, decent amount, but not a lot. So we're going to hit it with CK. This is going to help stress because it is hot. Uh, it's been 90. We're going to get some rain for a few days, so this is going to help. Uh, we're going to use some BioMP to feed the soil, not the grass, to get the microbes going. That's a 5-3-2, so that's a little bit of nitrogen in that. We're going to do aerate. Okay. We're going to do multi-purpose plus. We're going to do hydrogen, of course. You have to do hydrogen. We're going to hit it with some RGS, and we're going to hit it with some microgreens, some more biostimulants. And then we're going to hit it with some soil mastery uh, for some more soil stuff. But mostly everything that we're putting down is to battle the stress that we have and help mitigate future stress from the rest of the summer. <laughs> I haven't done any of that so far this year. So as you Pause. can see, getting... Now, gentlemen, in your experience, your vast experience, both on cool and warm season turf, how many products have you successfully applied to turf that is under stress to mitigate stress after the fact? None. I, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't work. None. None. I mean. <laughs> and uh, because you're both well-read individuals, can you please tell me that when we investigate the uh positive benefits and uses of the products that he's describing. So, uh, you know, liquid kelp or seaweed extract in the CK or, you know, humic acid, wetting agents, things like that. Do you ever see any of the research that's published as a one-time use after the onset of stress? Prior to and throughout the period of stress. Ray, Prior any, to any comments? throughout. There you go. Ray, any differing comments only, there? No, only prior to and uh, in other words, anything that you're going to do with a product like this is called uh, pre-stress conditioning in that you feed the grass so that it is better able to withstand what is coming up. However, at some point in time, applying all this crap to the grass when the grass is under stress, just elevates salt levels and indu induces additional stress. You're not making Correct. it better by applying all this stuff to grass. Uh, if anything, I always say to people, you get more benefit out of the water that you use to apply the product than you do the actual products themselves. <laughs> all right. So let's see. He's got a couple of granular products here. Let's try to understand what's going on here. Pretty rough out here. I haven't done anything in this backyard. It gets cooked. It gets the dog. It gets the kids. So it has a lot of stresses on it. So let's see what all these products do in combination. So the first thing on the list today is going to be... 
Matt or Ray, could you please, for the folks at home, uh, help us understand how you would design an experiment in your backyard to uh, determine if 10 products all at once can work and or which ones are giving you a positive and or negative response? I'd have to do knock There's out. There's not the... enough square footage in this backyard to accomplish I'd that. Have to do, I'd have to do knock out. variables. What is I have that? To do knockout trials. Ten times nine times eight times seven times six are the potential variables you have to take into account yeah. here to isolate mm-hmm. which one of the ten is doing what. We're gonna have to yep. get one of those crypto mining rigs from across town here for him <laughs> to compute, so the SPSS can spit out the stats on this bastard. All right, not yeah. this bastard as a person. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the experiment, of course. Now then, yeah, let's see what we're gonna apply here. Ithiopure. And what this is, is it is a pre-emergent that has post-emergent killing capabilities in it. I no, it hang on. does hang not. On. Pause. Hang on. Hang on. Now, hang on. now this was, the, 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 let me let me give you a little background here for a second, Matthew. Nothing's been done yet on this lawn, according to what he says in the video. And we're about to apply Dithiopure. And I believe in the beginning part of the video, you missed it. This is actually on July 3rd of this year. Well, the what? one thing I want to say about Dithiapir in general is that if you are looking to achieve post-merger control from it, number one, it's very dependent upon the size of the wheat. Uh, July 3rd, you, depending upon where you are in the country, you're probably beyond that size of the weed that you're looking for, the one to two tiller stage of crabgrass. Number two, granular Dithiapir does not offer that one to two tiller level of control that you're looking for. What you have to do is apply it as a liquid with a surfactant according to the label. So this already from the get-go, unfortunately, is not going to give him what he's looking for. I understand his thought process on it, and I and I and I appreciate him for putting forth a thought, a thought into this, and 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 it, it, it's just however. There were some there were some pretty significant steps that were jumped across to 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 determine that this product is a good idea for what he's looking to accomplish. I wanted to go purely pre-emergent, but I do have some weeds in the backyard, so I wanted to do pre and post. So first up is this. We're going to apply this at four pounds per thousand, and I'm just over five thousand square feet, so I'm going to go twenty and a half pounds. I do like this song. Oh, I, I, I don't like to see that either. I mean, why is he fingering, fingering the this to appear granules with his bare hands? So we are quickly running out of time before the storm gets here. So I'm going to skip the humic. And we're going to go straight to the liquids. And if I have time to come back for the humic, I will. But I want to get the rest of this stuff down. First thing I got to do is switch out these tips because the tip that I had on it was more of a foliar application. But we're not doing any more foliar applications. Everything we're doing is into the soil today. So we're going to change over to our mm-hmm. air induction T-jet tips. The first thing we're going to huh? spray, we're going to spray Air8, RGS, and CK. And these are going to be our three biggest stress relief and stress prevention is, liquids. Is and with this rain coming, a, a soil? No. Perfect a soil? No. I did. 
I mean, we're going to use the maximum rate of six ounces right. a thousand. <laughs> now, CK is super. All right, positive. so go ahead and skip over real quick, J Pink, if you would, to uh, let's see here about uh, 418. We'll finish this up here real quick. I like the spray. Good yeah. It's giving it hell. <laughs> nice and steady. Now the rain comes. Now here we go. We're, we're mixing up. All right, this storm is coming, and it's not happy. We got to move this along. Six ounces of product into one to two gallons for every square feet. 35 ounces. I'm glad he's reading. All right, now pause real quick. He is. Now, listen, uh, the, the moral of this story here, again, folks, is that you will not spray your way out of anything in this business, particularly in the middle of summer. Maybe a little bit of weed control, maybe some insect control. Disease control is only going to stop what's already started. But if we're trying to go after biostimulants and things like that, Ray, Matt, you got to get into it a little bit before this. You, you're, you're, you're buying high, and you're going to be selling low on these type of applications. Exactly. But you know what? That rain he has tailing this application right here is going gonna, is gonna to have such a profound effect on recovery that guess what's going to get the credit? <laughs> it's sure as shit not well, going to be the rain. It's going to be it's 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 going to be the biostimulant application, the ten product cocktail that he put together, followed by a nice deluge. Uh, then all of a sudden things started perking up and turning green. Well, of course, what was it? It was the biostimulants. So thanks, Ryan, for your for your feedback. But obviously you're wrong because it rained and look what happened to my yard after I put down the ten the ten product cocktail. Listen, it wasn't that ecstasy. It wasn't that ecstasy that fucked me all up. It was those eighteen shots I had after. Clearly, exactly. <laughs> 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 all right. So, listen. That's our Joe Knows Turk segment for tonight. If you have a video that you want to send in and just have us take a look at, listen. We're not trying to get personal. We're not trying to get mean. Uh, if you take it the wrong way, well, hey, we're just on a bunch of unpalatable pricks, and that's the way it is. We're here to try and take these. Uh, opportunities to help everybody learn and if you're so gracious as to put content out there you know we're willing to help you too we'll be your coach right yeah there's there's no doubt coach about martin. it uh coach martin we will, we will coach ray we'll have <laughs> we'll have anyone on the show and there's no doubt about it if you and if you would like like to be considered for that uh email us matt at uh, i'm sorry mail at the grassfactor.tv mail at the grassfactor.tv uh, we'll feature your video we'll feature you and uh but yeah yeah it'll be a great time we have a good time you can check out our thirsty thursday episodes where we do this uh and of course you can go back to our other burn and return episodes where we uh analyze other jonah segments uh gentlemen let's check out this week's returns I put this as a return, but let me tell you, this is a burn because I identify with this Florida man. Oh, man. A Florida a Florida man's battle with officials over his unkempt grass was lost on another front after a federal judge ruled in favor of a city that fined him nearly $30,000 for failing to mow the lawn. James Ficken of Dunedin has fought off thousands of dollars of fines after city officials started issuing daily penalties in May 2018 as a result of his high grass. 
Him and his attorneys in the Institute for Justice had previously argued in court that the fines were excessive, but the city of Dunedin uh, countered Ficken's over on grass, could draw snakes, rats, or other uh, vermin. Uh, so anyway, they're, they're going to enforce this. And here, here's the thing. Listen, this guy has just been reading the news about no mo may and was playing his part, uh, <laughs> back in 2018 by pioneering, pioneering the, uh, the whole no mo may <laughs> thing. And it, it stretched into a couple his, years. <laughs> there's going to be a historical but, marker placed there. <laughs> The Here's where, what's the guy's name again? No what's his name? We got a name on this I, guy? Ficken. Oh, yeah, Jack Ficken. James Ficken. James Ficken. Here lies the spot where James Ficken, comma, the laziest motherfucker in lawn care, um, a pioneer, <laughs> the premise of No Mo May. And while he tried to stretch it out for damn near half a decade, he thought, well, at least if we can get one month in, that'll be good enough. So, hey, we should, uh, we should do a GoFundMe. And we should get a brass plaque installed right by this guy's house. You just won't be able to see it because the grass is eight feet tall. Yeah, I mean they foreclosed on the guy's house. To me, that is excessive. That's crazy. That's ex- um, that's that's pretty crazy. It it is. The and the the, the 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 whole thing is nuts. And I think this is government overreach in and of itself, and what people should be protected from, which is which is insane. But I'm sure James is a little fruit loopy. Uh, I mean, he is Florida man after all. And uh, you know, <laughs> I don't I don't know. It's 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 a bad bad deal. Sorry, James. I'm the kind of guy that hates to mow grass too, so uh, I identify with you. Uh, that's that's for sure. And then our second one we're going to look at here is OSU. I'm sorry, Demay, not Ohio State University. Although I'm sure Ohio State University would have done a hell of a lot better than at least the uh, the the actual uh, f- phenomenal work out of Oregon State University. Go Beavers. Engineering uh, College of Engineering has harnessed the power of artificial intelligence to help protect bees from pesticides. Uh, Corey Simon, assistant professor of chemical engineering, and Zhao Li Fern, associate professor of computer science, led the project, which involved training a machine learning model to predict whether any, any uh, proposed new herbicide, fungicide, or insecticide would be toxic to honeybees based on the compound's molecular structure. The findings featured on the Journal of Chemical Physics in a special issue, Chemical Design by Artificial Intelligence, are important because many fruit, nut, vegetable, and seed crops rely on bee pollination. Without bees to transfer the pollen needed for uh, reproduction, almost 100 commercial crops in the United States would vanish. Bees' global economic impact is annually estimated to exceed $100 billion. Uh, Anyway, so... Um, uh, the model represents pesticide molecules by the set of random walks on their molecular graphs. Um, a random walk is a mathematical concept that describes any meandering path, such as on the uh, complicated chemical structure of a pesticide, where each step along the path is decided by chance as if by coin toss. Imagine, Yang explains, that you're out for an aimless stroll along a pesticide's chemical structure, making your way from atom to atom via the bonds that hold the compound together. You travel in random directions, but keep track of your route. The sequence of atoms and bonds that you visit, then you go out onto a different molecule, comparing the series of twists and turns to what you've done before. The algorithm declares two molecules similar if they share many walks of the same sequence of atoms and bonds. Our model serves as a surrogate for a bee toxicity experiment. It can be used to quickly screen proposed pesticide molecules for their toxicity. I thought that was pretty fascinating, interesting, and a perfect example of science and technology coming together uh, to offer a model for uh, pesticide developers to hopefully uh, uh, help speed up uh, chemical technology development. Ah, you know, modeling. That 
is how shall I say? Modeling to date, from what I've seen of it, is a very imperfect thing. And there's been instances where computer modeling has gotten things wrong and with grievous results. And on the other hand, I've also seen modeling be easily subject to bias. To where what happens when this so-called model is basically tuned or operated, etc., such that you ain't going to get anything approved from here on out because the model says that it's all toxic to bees. Well, the beautiful thing is that it's it's not necessarily the gateway between pesticide technology development and not, you know, because of course you still have to conduct trials to cosign or, uh, or not cosign the bullshit that comes out of the inventor's mouth. Um, so, but I, I think is a, a, uh, a broad brush stroke could be able to input many different, uh, available molecules into a computer and spit out which ones have high probability of toxicity and low probability of te- toxicity. It may at least give a starting point on working on new pesticide technologies. I'm trying to play the optimist here. What about what about you, Debay? Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't think it's you can't just treat it as uh, finished technology, right? It's a starting point, and uh, the more right with AI, right, the more data that you feed into it. And the more results and outcomes it can get, the better it learns in theory. So I just want to see, you know, how much data is getting fed in there of what has been um, actually peer reviewed and studied in different spaces and more so what we will do with emerging technologies, right? Uh, All over the game, right? From, you know, natural products, uh, parasitic products, all the way up to, uh, synthetic products and see what this does and does that still elicit the same type of results we're seeing in the field um i don't know I, I'm, I'm like i said i think it's a good starting point that's that's kind of where i'm at on the whole thing but hey i don't care who it is I, it's always good yeah, to know this good thing uh, and we'll see we'll see how 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 it plays out because I guarantee you that uh, AI entering the uh, the pesticide space is just at the forefront of it. Now, when AI does become a decision making factor in the pesticide space, I'd say that's where you know uh, the the things get weird. Uh, boomer in me, yeah, it gets weird. Even though I am a millennial through and through. Uh, gentlemen, we have a good one here on this week's mailbag. Oh boy. You've got mail. All right. <laughs> yes, we do. And it's from Framunda Cheese. And he says, part one. I, I This may be a multi-part series that's going to be coming into us, depending upon how we answer this. But it says, inquiring info regarding how to grow grass over top a septic leach field. Obvious drought conditions cause shallow buried leach lines to stress the above turf. To my knowledge, this is how a septic system is properly installed, but is poor for growing turf. Thoughts? Consider dabbling in wetting agents, but can't see justify spending $100 for a glorified bottle of NIS unless I'm misunderstanding what else is out there. Uh, this is in regards to seeing the 100-foot dead, thinned, dormant stripes from June to September above the leach field. Uh, thanks, y'all. Tyler, uh, the my local idiot applicators recommend chlorothalonil on every yard guy in central Indiana. Um, which is a shame about Corthalano because it is it is effective. But 
It does not have a turf label, so therefore we keep it off. Um, my opinion on this is uh, it's always going to be a problem. Uh, there's uh, applying a wetting agent and trying to leach. All right, first let's talk about what happens from septic leach fields. Uh, is that you're you're going to get a lot of, of various gases uh, that are going to be seeping through. Also, a fair amount of sodium accumulation is going to occur, uh, but you're also going to get a lot of nitrogen accumulation that occurs, a lot of pee, a lot of doo-doo. And, uh, and so there's not really much you could do. A, a, attempting to leach the, uh, the, the leachate, you're leaching the leachate beyond the root system of the grass above is probably not going to happen. I just don't see you being able to do that. Um, And even using some of the most effective drying down soil penetrants like TerraFirm AD by Mitchell, which literally you can dry down the grass so much that you cause hydrophobicity um, because it's that effective as a penetrant. Um, I don't think you're going to escape this type of scenario because it's in a constant state of free flow. Uh, so in my opinion is I would be planting a, a, a higher uh, nitrogen tolerant grass type. And uh, I would, I would be, I would have, I would have a Bermuda lawn. What y'all's take? Jeez. <laughs> in central Indiana. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. yes. Go ahead, Ray. Yes. Go, go ahead, Ray. Southern Indiana. Yes. Freaking hot. Central Indiana. Central Indiana. That's yeah. the same thing. It's the same damn difference. You know what? You're in Central Ohio and you're growing Bermuda grass? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, Ryan. You know, for... Well, you're for growing that. Bermuda grass well. Yeah, you're doing it damn well, he Ryan. Here, is he? <laughs> yeah. However, He's the higher this, would be a, no, this would be a case for cold-tolerant Winter hardy Bermudas. And the reason why is because it's obvious that this cool season grass is stressing out and cannot handle in the summer, right, Matt? Yeah. It can't deal. It can't deal. Likewise, here's my thought. You know what? Grow Bermuda and then harvest that massive growth of Bermuda or forage or hay, make friends with some cows and horses. And I'm not joking about idea. that. Yep, that's wow. a good idea. Yeah, yeah. make some friends with some animals because uh, I still remember my grandfather's black and white bull and he just loved having handfuls of Bermuda grass. You know, right. Paul Bermuda grass. He, he just loved it. Right. So... I'm going to throw this at you guys. I'll 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 co-sign a little bit of this bullshit, not all of it. But what about zoysia grass there? Ooh, less water, I'm less in favor it's, of it's, it. it's it's really shit hard yeah. to kill. Really hard to kill. Shit yeah. yeah. You know what? And that would be the the thing where have that. However, you make sure that it's contained. Though, can you? No, hmm? animals hate zoysia. Animals hate zoysia. Yeah. They don't like it. I like the idea of they feeding don't. it to the animals. I yeah, like, I want a cow. Let's be honest here. When when Ray said that, like it it hit a bell with me. I want a cow. My neighbors, <laughs> you know, across you don't the like mowing your lawn. Is, I don't see you raising livestock. Like I just don't. 
I, there's you know there's what? a personal relationship with the things that are actually primarily doing the mowing, and that is that is the cow. And trust me, I would much rather be friends with cows than human beings. And across the street from me, I've got, I don't know, there's probably 300, 300 head of cattle across the street. And, you know, I drive by in the morning. You know what I do? I roll to a complete stop. I roll down the window, and I fucking moo at them like a normal human being, right? And I pretend <laughs> you know what, like Matt? when they make noises back to me that it's it's a sign of friendship and mutual respect that we have for one another. So I like the idea of Bermuda grass going here and, and allowing the cows to forage the Bermuda grass. I don't know. That's my thought. And, and here's, a, here's another one for you. If you're talking about, you know, grazing animals. The best, one of the best lawn mowing animals I can think of. It got me. It got me real bad. It's affecting me a week. How's this? Sheep or goats? Do you know how good? I'm on board with it. Do you know how? Do you know how good sheep and goats are at eating grass? Well, I'm a rack of lamb guy. I mean, I am definitely a rack of lamb person. So, so there. I mean. But then I'm, I'm just saying that sheep and goats are capable of eating grass and cutting it pretty short because I know the difference between a cow grazing, a horse grazing, and a goat or a sheep grazing because the sheep and the goats get it down so low that I think it was done with a mower. Well, they do a good job. The yeah. original mowers for golf courses, you know, way back in the day. They're great. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Matt, we, we found out Matt is going to buy a goat or a cow and sell his lawnmower to get it. That's where we're at. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bert, we, thank you. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, man, I, last week, last week got me, got me pretty good. Uh, I will not be checking the comments on the video, so feel free to run your mouth, talk shit, or whatever, and whatever in the in the ginger video. I honestly do not care. And I stand by everything I said, one hundred percent. Thank you, everybody, for for uh, tuning in this week. Uh, we will be at you on Thursday with ear, nose, and turf. Our resident MD in the house <laughs> is going to be joining us, and that's actually going to be really exciting because we have like a, a real MD. I mean, how how talking I, to us? I, I almost said stupid, it, but it, I mean, it's so dumb. We have a it, real it MD. Seriously, the guy the guy went to school for like eight years, and he's gonna talk to us sad sacks of shit about fucking grass. I mean, <laughs> it makes me feel I, that big. Makes me feel that uh, big. Ray, at least we can get all our questions about androgens answered by the ear, nose, and tur- uh, ear, nose, and throat specialist because I'm sure that's something he cares a whole hell of a lot about. Um, we are headed over to go hang out with the patrons so they can choose this week's episode. We love y'all. We'll see you on the next one. 